When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game and wants a strong word with the government about the timing of its big announcements. I'm Kevin Day, here's Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire. Uh, Full disclosure here, Kieran, we are uh, recording at a different end of the day. We normally record at 10 o'clock on Sunday morning. It's it's now close to 8 o'clock on Sunday evening because I had lunch with an old friend today. Uh, it was a long lunch, Kieran, and he's the sort of friend who insists on a different wine for each course and a digestive at the end. So let's launch into the pod and see how far we get before <laughs> before BAFTA decide that a half-drunk host is definitely not going to win the award. It's questions day, Kieran. Obviously, there's one huge news story to discuss. Um, with Roman Abramovich being sanctioned by the UK government, an announcement made about a minute after we went out on Thursday... It led to a busy day for you, Ken. I think just about the only show you weren't on on Thursday was EastEnders. Um, <laughs> it, it, it was it was crazy. I mean, even by my standards, I managed to fit in uh, BBC One, BBC News, ITV, Channel Four, Channel Five, and Sky News. I think um, I think the only thing I wasn't on 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 Thursday was Pornhub, and, and, and they <laughs> sent over a script, and I turned it down because I thought it was a bit one-dimensional. Well, also, you don't like improv as well. That's why you and Pornhub are not that. It's, it's without a doubt, Kieran, one of the biggest stories I can remember in English football, and I think probably certainly in the Premier League era. There's a lot to unpick, but could we just start by discussing or clarifying just exactly what Chelsea can and can't do at the moment? Absolutely. So in terms of bringing money in, they cannot sell match tickets. Uh, They've got 27,000 season ticket holders. So therefore, for each home match, there's approximately 14,000 people who are either sold match tickets or um, are coming from the away team. Now, if those tickets have already been sold, fine. If you're a season ticket holder, again, fine. You can still attend matches. We've just seen Chelsea play today against Newcastle, um, and and there was there was a full capacity crowd there because yeah. this had all happened all in terms of the ticket sales before the announcement was made on Thursday. If you were at the match today, you would not have been able to go to the club shop, so the club's not allowed to sell merchandise. You are allowed to sell uh, food and drink because if you've got people in a in a, you know, a a closed arena, for want of a better phrase, for for two to three hours, you know, beverages and, and a bit of food is is deemed to be reasonable. So so that that is allowed. Um, in terms of 
where else they can get money from for the rest of the season. The existing deals with the Premier League, with UEFA, with uh, with the merchandise manufacturers, so that would be Nike, and with their sponsors, those deals from a legal contract point of view, those will continue. And those payments uh, which have been received to date, though, that, you know, those have already been banked. Um, we're not quite sure where Chelsea stand with regards to what has happened in terms of both Three and Hyundai, who are respectively the front of shirt and sleeve yeah. sponsor. But sponsors normally play pay up front. So you'll normally get you know, the next season's money uh, in, in sort of July, August. So I, I don't think there necessarily be any uh, instalments outstanding. So that's what that's what Chelsea can do. What they cannot do is is to sell match match tickets. Um, is that they they can also, in terms of what they can spend, they are limited, or rather, they were limited to match day overheads of um, five hundred thousand pounds per match. But there has been a subsequent revision to that, which yeah. has come through in the last twenty four hours. I think Chelsea have made representations to uh to the government uh, and the government says you know chelsea is a history it's a heritage asset it employs 800 people you know the focus of course is you know, people talk about the man what's going to happen to the manager what's going to happen to the players it's a big employer um nobody wants to see people lose their jobs so the government has said you, you can continue to pay the wages you can have match day overheads which are now nine hundred thousand pounds um and, and then it's got this um this this it's rather unusual thing that they're limited in terms of transport costs yeah. to twenty thousand pounds a match. Now, um, Chelsea are in the Champions League. Uh, they normally would charter a flight. Yeah, you know, they, they they don't tend to rock up on EasyJet and, and go to the nearest airport. But things might have to change because my understanding is that uh, to, to to charter a flight to Europe. You're looking somewhere in the region of eighty to one hundred thousand pounds. If you're chartering a flight, uh, yeah, let's say Chelsea are going to to Manchester or Liverpool, and they'd normally travel by uh, they'd normally travel by plane. That would be normally at least thirty thousand pounds. You'd be looking at a hotel if they're going up the night before, which would be a further fifteen thousand pounds. So you're immediately above the limit of twenty thousand, which has been imposed by the government. So they might have to start to, to consider uh, traveling up by coach, and and, you know, and, and no, nobody's going to be crying. You know, you know, nobody's going boohoo, poor football players. But even so, um, again, yeah, I've, I've got this from pretty good sources. Um, the the team coaches are normally two and a half thousand pounds per day, yeah, and they're going to need them for two days. You know, if, if you're going to a match up, you know, going to a match more than you know a close distance, so it's going to need them for two days. And because of COVID, you're going to need them. You're going to need two or three buses yeah. because you, you don't want the players in such close proximity. So you've, you've got an overnight hotel domestically. Again, you're probably looking at 15k on that. They're they're going to have to uh, either sort of you know, revise the, what the, what they're traditionally used to, um, or they, they'll have to go back to the government to see whether they can renegotiate. But the government has uh, appears to have pushed back on this. They they seem to think that twenty thousand pounds for travelling uh, somewhere is 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 a reasonable fee. So that one is uh, that is the one unknown. When it comes to wages, uh, in terms of what can they pay, the wages can be paid. And here, I think we have a possible problem in the sense that Chelsea's wage bill is £27 million per month. Wow. So 
Yeah, exactly. So we're recording this on the 13th. They're going to have a payroll in just over a fortnight. Do they have £27 million in their bank account? We simply don't know. But looking at their most recent accounts, they had, eight, I think, they had £17 million in the bank. Um, and that was after uh, sort of the receipt of, of that season's money for, uh, or a large watch of that season's money from season ticket holders who had paid in advance and, and the Premier League who had paid down a deposit as well. So, um, what tends to happen with Chelsea over the course of the season is that if they get to payroll and they don't have enough money in the bank, they go to Roman Abramovich. Yeah. He writes out a cheque for the difference. And then when they get their next instalment from the Premier League or from some transfer fees or from UEFA or wherever it's going to be, they then repay all of that or part of that loan um, to Abramovich. So if we take 2021 as, as a season, he lent them £150 million during the season they repaid 130 million so you know he was net 20 million the previous year was a bit of a nightmare for them from a financial point of view so he ended up lending a, a net 200 plus 200 million plus that cannot take place going forwards because his his assets are frozen and of course his assets include his bank accounts uh, and of course <clears throat> In a normal season, they'd be expecting more broadcasting money around about June, wouldn't they? Because they like to pay that early so clubs can start uh, speculating on transfers so the broadcasters can report that. So obviously that money's not going to be forthcoming the way things stand, is it? No, no, it's not. Um, but I, the, the licence expires on the 31st of May. Now, that means yeah, officially Chelsea Football Club freezes on the 31st of May. Right. But clearly that's not the wish of any of the parties, neither the club, Roman Abramovich, the government or the Premier League. So we, we could have um, a, a couple of things happen before then. Uh, we could have the club being sold or we could have a new licence if the club hasn't been sold uh, to, to effectively allow Chelsea to, to play. Thomas Tuchel, who has, has been quoted today, is saying, well, you know, I'm here until the end of the season uh, taking things day by day, and, and I've got to say, uh, yeah, Thomas Tuchel has been very professional. You know, he's, yeah. he's, he's not—he's not—he's not, he's not the chirpiest of guys at the best of times, and um, and I do think that sometimes football managers get get thrown under the bus with regards to this. Yeah, what have we seen from Bruce Buck, who's who's the, the, the head honcho? Absolutely nothing. Yeah. What have we seen from Marina Graviskaya, uh, who's, who's effectively runs Chelsea on a day-to-day basis? Now, they've they've not come out. They've not spoken to the press. They've they've not they've left it to Thomas Tuchel to have to explain what's going on. And I think that is so well. I think I think it's cowardly. I, I think he's been fantastic, their manager. Actually, I think his his comment. Uh, if I was a Chelsea fan, God forbid, it's exactly what I'd want to hear when he said, "As long as we've got a set of shirts and and boots, and we'll play football." Um, the players out of contract, there's, there's a couple of high-profile players who are due to be out of contract in, in June. Are, are they automatically going to be free to talk to other clubs? Because they, they can't negotiate a new contract the way things stand, can they? Yes. So, so under existing rules, they, they were entitled to talk to other clubs from the 1st of January. But I believe that some of them were having ongoing discussions with Chelsea about a renewal or extension. That cannot take place. So as far as the club is concerned, the transfer market is completely dead um, unless we have either a new owner or a revised licence um, the, the, the main aim of all of this is to ensure that if Chelsea Football Club receives any money, none of this goes to Roman Abramovich. 
the, I think the government, yeah, the government didn't just sanction Roman Abramovich on Thursday. There were a, a number of other oligarchs as well. Yeah. And yeah, our focus, is, of course, is on the football side. The media's focus is on the football and on the football club. But these, but so they, they tried to do something universal, special dispensation for Chelsea. Um, I, I think there will be flexibility. There will be pragmatism uh, going forwards. Uh, and you know, if you read some of the stories, there's already been high-level discussions between Roman Abramovich's representatives and the government as to can we sort this that we get a, a, a safe transfer of Chelsea Football Club to new owners as quickly as possible. Well, this is the one element, Kieran, that really confuses me here, and I think a lot of other people... Because after a day of, of silence, several potential owners came back in and said, no, we still want to buy the club. So how does that happen? So our potential new owners, you know, the Swiss billionaire, it, will he be negotiating with the British government? And I, what? how do they ensure, because it seems to me to be very difficult, how do they ensure that at no stage will any of the money for the sale Go to Roman Abramovich. Where will it go? Does it go into the into the coffers of the Treasury, who are then supposed to be trusted to give it to good causes in Ukraine? Does it go into escrow? What happens with that money? Well, again, at present, it, it's in, it's not been yet determined, and that's because um, presumably Roman Abramovich and the government will have to come to some agreement. Um, if Chelsea Football Club is sold, the proceeds it, by in a usual business transaction would go to the shareholders. Roman Abramovich is the shareholder. His assets are frozen. So the shares cannot legally be sold at present. The government has hinted we can we can find a solution for this. So lawyers will be talking to lawyers to make sure um, that Roman Abramovich doesn't receive any money. Then who's going to be in charge of the sale? Um, Roman Abramovich did uh, 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 take on a uh, American bank called Rain. They were acting on his behalf. Uh, it could be that the government talks to Rain and says, "Right, we will allow you to negotiate upon the following conditions." You know, a money goes into escrow. It, sh- it shouldn't go to Treasury. You know, it should go into an independently yeah. uh, monitored bank account. It should go into escrow, um, and uh, then there will be an agreement between Abramovich and the government or the government will make a, a, a unilateral decision. This money will be allocated to uh, you know, the, the relief effort for what's happening in Ukraine at present. Um, and that's how we will go forward. Now, in, in terms of what's going to happen to the price, it is a distressed asset. The, the £3 billion that was being discussed uh, or was being asked for, which, which I always felt was unrealistic. There's no way they're going to get something near that. But the, the, the bidders won't be the bidders won't be put off because Roman Abramovich's Chelsea is dead. Chelsea Football Club under Nick Candy or you know Joe Schmo from Louisiana or whoever it's going to be, that football club is the one going forwards. If they are happy that the club itself, as a as a brand, and it's a horrible word to use, and you know, and you know, we we've not mentioned it yet, but I should have mentioned. Of course, people are dying. People are being murdered yes, by Putin yes, at present, and 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 this is this is a, a sideshow. But it's it's a this is a football finance podcast. So yeah. Um, so it could be Nick Candy. I think he's a property developer. He's already said that you know, the. Yeah. The fan, he wants a, wants a fan representative on the board. He's certainly saying the things which will appeal to the Chelsea supporters' trust. We've got the Chelsea pitch owners issue yep. as well uh, in terms of 
what you know we've always said that you know even even bad people do good things and this was in me in my view ken bates probably greatest achievement in in splitting up uh, the chelsea pitch into one meter squares and preventing anybody from from being able to go and march away with chelsea um so i think that the the first or the last bids have to be in by the 18th of march so we're talking friday and they and they got to be realistic um are we going to get the likes of you know Lawrence Bassini and, and, and the other tire kickers around? No, they'll they'll simply be filtered out straight away. Um, you know, Rain will say if you want if you're interested. First of all, we want a minimum deposit of five million pounds. So that will get rid of that will get rid of uh, you know, the, the the Looney Tunes brigade. Um, so so that's that's where we are. Can the sale be go, go ahead at present? No. Will the government? move things or change things that it will allow a sale, I think that's pretty much assured. And finally, we we did discuss this notion when Abramovich first put the club up for sale, but Ray Ward is one of many, many uh, listeners asking how this is going to affect FFP regulations for Chelsea. Right. Um, this, this is completely... Um, exempt uh, it's a complete non-issue from um, an FFP uh, perspective in terms of the loan or the loan being written off because FFP is effectively comparing your your day-to-day income which is match day broadcasting and commercial compared to your day-to-day running costs you know wages amortization overheads blah blah interest costs and so on so um a writing off of a loan is is specifically excluded from the ffp calculation so it is neither a good thing or a bad thing it's uh, it, it's 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 a, it's a non-mover in the charts okay well let's get on to some questions this is obviously an issue that we're going to be discussing at great length for weeks to come our first question comes from chris mason uh, Chris says, if a player has their contract renewed on the very last day of their initial contract period, would that mean that the amortisation of any transfer fee that has been paid for the player is now set to naught pound? I'm assuming it would. Chris, Kieran is an accountant. So just like my accountant, Bobby Numbers, he hates it. <laughs> he really hates it when people assume things like, I assumed I'd get some money in before the VAT bill was due, or I'm assuming we can hold that over to the next quarter. They, you don't like assuming, do you? But is he right, though, Chris? Chris has absolutely nailed it. Yeah. Um, uh, when when a player is in their final year of contract, the uh, the book value of the player uh, decreases to zero on the final day of the contract. So even if you do renew, then um, you're amortising a figure of zero. You divide zero by one year or two years, and and it's zero going forward. So. Uh, that that is one thing to consider. What what we do quite often see is that when a player um, gets into their last year of the contract, uh, it, it tends to be then when the contract is renewed or extended. And and the advantage there is that if you've got a player that's in the books at five million pounds, starts the final year of his contract, if you give him a a two year extension instead of putting through five million pounds over one year, it's now five million over three because you've got a two year extension and your amortization cost falls, which which uh, which reduces your losses or increases your profits. Uh, Alex Hare would like clarification on a subject that seems to fascinate our listeners in quite a morbid way. What is the financial situation with injured players? When someone signs for a big fee and gets injured for a long time very soon after, how does the club manage the transfer fee and wages when it's getting no return on the outlay, especially when they will probably have to pay for a temporary replacement, presumably any insurance premiums 
would be astronomical. And also, I think we never really discussed the impact on the player themselves. Here. We we got Nathan Ferguson. Palace got Nathan Ferguson from West Brom nigh on two years ago, and he's not been able to play for injury. He's just getting fit again. But there's enormous pressure on him to to produce the goods now. We've all been waiting for him. We've all been told how good he is. And there's this poor young kid who's been desperate to play football who's now expected to be brilliant after coming back in after two years of injury. So it's it's often more, there's more to it than the financial aspect. But as you say, we're a financial pod, so answer that question first. Right. Um, if if a player does, decide, does uh, suffer from a, a long-term injury and at the end of the season or you know, the, the club realises that um, they're not going to be able to sell him um, should they choose to sell him for, for anything like the, the book value, which is in the accounts. What they have to do is to say that this uh, the injury is what's known as an impairment event and they write down the value of the player um, in the accounts. It's a bit like accelerating the amortisation charge and, and you put through some some large sums. It, we've just been talking about Chelsea. Um in the Chelsea accounts themselves for 2021, they put through impairment charges of £18 million, which means that either a player had had, a val- had an injury which, which resulted in his market value taking a, you know, a catastrophic drop, um, and, and that can be uh, you know that, that 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 can be, of course, you know, a huge issue from from the player's personal well being perspective. As we've been saying, although there would normally be protection in, in terms of his contract, um, or it could be that the player's not quite as good as you thought he was. So, you know, who's this eighteen million pounds referring to in the uh, in the in the Chelsea accounts? Yeah, the, the clubs never name the player, um, and then it becomes you know it becomes a sort of a Twitter game of guess who. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think that the the smart money from what I've heard from Chelsea fans, it's it's their it's it's their goalkeeper who they signed for seventy million. Uh, who who now is is warming the bench? So you know, you, you're not you're not going to be able to sell as a, a seventy million pound goalkeeper and recover that money if he's only a bench warmer. Yeah. Um, though his his penalties would perhaps get him in the England <laughs> rugby team. Yeah, they, they might get a signing from him. Might recover, recover some of the money. Um, in terms of where we stand, in terms of insurance, uh, Alex is absolutely right. The premiums are. Very, very high because every time you go out on a pitch, you're, you're one tackle away from the end of your career. Um, so there is there is a Premier League policy, I understand, but I think it only pays out around about two hundred and fifty k. Yeah. So you know, it, it's it, it might cover the wages for a few months, or in the case of some players, just a few weeks. Yeah. Um, but uh, the the clubs effectively what what we refer to as self insure. Self insure is another word for not insuring. Um, so uh, I actually self-insure Friendly, for example, because vets bills <laughs> vets bills are extortionate. Yeah. You can get dog insurance. So because I am a dweeb, what I do is is I stick £20 a month into a savings account, and that savings account is for Finley's vet bills. And I'm hoping over the course of the time that he's with us that uh, you know, I've, I've managed to get it, get it on the right side of the line. You know, if, he, if he's got a – if something serious happens to him, well, you know, he, he – We'll find the money, but uh, you know, and and that's that works out a lot cheaper than than paying the uh, the insurance premiums uh, for either the player or you know, if anybody does have an animal, uh, pet insurance is uh, is a rip off. Yeah, you'd be amazed how many self insurance policies I have. Uh, <laughs> the cat, however, uh, if anything happens to the cat, I think the police would be investigating because we'd be getting a lot of money because she's she's insured, she's insured up to her furry little eyeballs. 
the cat's got insurance. Oh, anything happens to the cat, she's fine. Me, I'm, I'm done. <laughs> uh, Ian Barham has a question. Uh, again, this is an interesting concept that's creeping into the game more and more, and fans are more and more intrigued by it. Uh, Ian, Bar- Ian Barham says, more and more transfers now have add-ons and conditions attached to them that result in additional payments. Who keeps track of those? Is there a third-party organisation with a big database of all the transfer details? Or is the onus on the selling club to get in touch with the buyers to say, hang on, they've just made their 50th appearance, you owe us another 5 million quid? Right, yeah, this is a cracker for me. And um, as far as international transfers are concerned, um, they have to go through FIFA, uh, and FIFA does keep a, a giant ledger with with all of the details oh, on. Really? Although it's mm. not FIFA's responsibility to check that those payments are made. Um, and, and UEFA do something similar because we have seen UEFA impose sanctions, and, and in fact. Just in, in the past week or so, um, uh, there's been a few clubs that have come out of sanctions when historically they have failed to pay transfer instalments. So um, it, um, the reason why, why UEFA would get involved is normally because the receiving club would report the paying club to UEFA and say, look, we ain't be paid. This club also happens to be in the Europa Conference or the Europa League, whatever it's going to be. And FIFA, sorry, UEFA would then... Uh, charge them and if they found guilty they would they would impose sanctions um on a domestic level and on a practical level it it's left it's left to the club secretary now you know we know from park football club secretary is the black bloke that keeps you know brings in the subs yep. and he pays he pays the fines and so on um Clubs, clubs at a, a professional level have somebody in, in a similar role, and, and they they literally have a little black book as to you know we sold such and such a player on the on the seventeenth of July twenty twenty one. We're due to receive an instalment on the seventeenth of July twenty twenty two of six million pounds, and that they, they might give a friendly call a couple of days beforehand to the other club to say just in case you've forgotten. Um, you're due to pay us. Just make sure it goes in. Otherwise, yeah, we don't want to report you to the Premier League or UEFA or whatever. But yeah, we don't have to. So um, it's it, it is uh, it's not policed as such, but it is monitored at a, at a club level because we're talking potential you know seven eight figure sums. Yeah, of course. In my experience of Sunday football, the club secretary tends to be somebody who's not very good at actually playing football, but has yes. got has got a large washing machine. Or in general, their mum's got. Yes, yeah, we just can't find a place for you at left back. But club secretary is a really important position. Yeah, you have to you have to provide your own blazer. But that's really really important. Um, Derby fans have probably been listening to this pod, thinking well, this all this Chelsea stuff's all very well, but we've not been mentioned for a fortnight. Well, it's it's your lucky day, depending on how you look at it, because we've got two questions about Derby. Um, the first comes from a Notts County fan. Uh, Luke Williamson. Luke Williamson makes a very good point. Luke says, when Derby went into administration, lots of their fans spent money on extra season tickets and merchandising to hopefully help with the club's cash flow. Given that administrators are now in control, was this the best way financially for fans to support the club and its staff? And what slice of that money will have actually gone to those intended? And how much would have gone straight into fees for the administrators? As a Notts County fan, we've had our fair share of these situations. So my heart goes out to those fans down the road. Well said, Luke. 
Yes, yes. Um, well, first of all, yeah, hats off to the Derby fans. They, they, by, by doing those things, they have done the best thing. Because the first thing that the administrators have to do is to provide funding going forward. So they will have uh, either you know, had guarantees from, I think they, they did get some money from MSD Holdings. Um, we know that they have sold players in, in the last few weeks as well. But initially, uh, any money from ticket sales, from merchandise sales would have gone into the bank account. And what the, what the administrators do is they effectively freeze the club's bank accounts uh, at the date of, uh, of, of of appointment, any money in that they would then transfer to to their new bank account, and they run something called a, a receipts and payments yeah. account. So any money that they generate over the course of uh, the administration from operational activities, from player sales, from property sales, um, and, and other sales. Um, go, goes into that, and that allows them to try to uh, you know cover all of the costs. Um, if they've not not got enough, they've got to go to uh, the funders, uh, you know MSD or Mel Morris or Mel Morris via MSD. Some people say, but I'm not a cynic. I wouldn't say that. <laughs> um, and uh, they they have that has allowed them to uh, carry on trading. Any money left over at the end of the administration, um, that will be added to the sale proceeds of the club, and then that money is divvied up. Some goes to uh, what's referred to as the secured creditors, the mortgage holders. We then have the preferential creditors, which is HMRC and uh, and, and football creditors. Um, and then we drop down to this next tier, which is the people who are entitled to um, 25 pence in the pound if there's enough money to avoid a further 15-point penalty. So again, the money which has been generated by the Derby County fans and some of the stuff which they've done has been absolutely magnificent. Yep. There's been there's been campaigns to to buy tickets for people who can't afford tickets just to get more uh, yep. people into Pride Park to make the noise to try to you know just push the club over the line in terms of getting a few more points and avoiding relegation. So so hats off to all concerned with regards to that. In terms of the administration itself, um, I can't say too much. I got a phone call on Friday from an ex employee, uh, somebody who's been made redundant by by the administrators and what I've heard uh, in terms of the behaviour of some senior people at the club, and I'll say no more than that, has been absolutely scandalous. Um, and uh, I'll say more at a later stage, but uh, at, at this stage, uh, sh- shame on you, and I suspect you know who you are. Senior people at the club or amongst the administrators? Uh, a bit of both. Right, okay. Well, both. All right. Well, once we've got legal clearance, we will name and shame as we should do. But on the subject of Derby and indeed the status of creditors, Gary Parfoot says, I assume Derby must have been insolvent for a while before it went into administration. As a company director, I am personally liable for company debts if trading while insolvent. So how does Mel Morris not have the personal liability himself? Also, how does football get away with the debt safety net of 100% when other creditors don't? I thought preferential treatment was not legal. Gary, if accountants don't like us assuming, they definitely don't like us thinking. Um, in terms of let's just there's two really good questions here from Gary. Yeah. In, in terms of trading insolvent, what does that mean? Trading insolvent means that you knowingly entered into a contract with a supplier in the knowledge that you could not pay them and you were not intending to pay them. So there's there's 
wrongful trading, there's fraudulent trading. There's no evidence of that right. okay. in respect of Derby County. Um, up to the date of the appointment of the administrators, Mel Morris was underwriting. There, you know, there's no doubt that he has put money into the club. No, and again, nobody should should deny that. Um, there, there are there are some things which which might cause people to to raise their eyebrows. However, um, as as we've established on many occasions, I'm not a cynic. But if I was at HMRC, I might be looking at the level of money which is owed to HMRC. Um, by football club. So we've, if we look at some other clubs in the championship, we've got Luton owing 500k in outstanding tax. We've got Millwall, 800,000 pounds. We've got QPR, 2.2 million. All of those clubs have recently announced their, their financial results. Then we come to Derby County and it's 29 million pounds. Wow. And you know, it's, uh, it, some people at HMRC might take the view that was the club deliberately not paying the tax? Was it using... Um, uh, COVID as a smokescreen to not pay the taxes due, and then to to effectively try to uh, you know drop drop the drop the tax authorities in it because the the administrators are now trying to get them to take a haircut. It, it's taken a long time for legislation to change. Um, HMRC used to be what's referred to as an unsecured creditor, yeah. so they they were last in the queue. They've now gone up a step or two, um, and, and they're entitled in theory to a hundred percent of the money before the unsecured creditors get any. Um, so so you know some people might. Take the view that uh, you know the, the, the club again was uh, gaming the system. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm not going to agree with such viewpoints because um, you're not cynical. We know, Kieran. Yeah, because I'm not cynical. Yeah, um, and and also, um, you know, I, I have spoken to to clubs and said, well, how have you paid the tax? And they said, well, you know, we've taken out loans from the EFL to which we are committed to repaying. Um, they are interest free loans because the, the interest charges are being underwritten by the Premier League and. That's another reason why they are so sore with regards to what's happened at Derby. It's not issues with the the club, and I think you've got to separate the club from people at the club. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, there, there's been a lot of uh, dissenting voices uh, with regards to the behaviour of some. Does the tax liability of those clubs you mentioned, Reading, QPR, Millwall, that goes down on the annual financial report? Is it? Do they openly say we owe two point five million pound to? HMRC. Yeah. Yep. So yeah, in, in in your creditors' note, and and you're you're always going to owe a bit because you know PAYE is paid in arrears, normally a month in arrears. So so owing a bit is, is fine. Um, and if you've got issues, then then my advice has always been be proactive, get in contact with HMRC, and work out a payment solution. You know, and, and I've I've always sort of you know tried. Try to try to ensure that that's done. Hey, HMRC are not uh, are not the devil incarnate. You know, they're there, they're to do a professional job, and and also they're they're quite sympathetic to to, to people's individual circumstances, and the same for companies. Yeah, I, I dream of the day when I only owe a bit. That'd be and I can I can endorse that HMRC. I'm on Christmas half of my Christmas cards come from various HMRC places across the country. <laughs> Isn't that one for Fleetwood? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and and Gary's second question, yeah, um, with regard to. The uh, yeah, why, why does football get away with yeah. uh, this football creditors rule? Um, it it was introduced within the football industry when when they started to set up points deductions for going into administration. Yeah, um, and there was a test case 
between HMRC. HMRC did not like this whatsoever. There was a test case. I think it was in 2012. I can't remember the club involved, so I I don't want to drop myself in it. But uh, HMRC lost the test case at the time. Um, They've never been happy about it. Um, They may at some point in the future... Uh, revisit that particular issue as to why should a football club take priority over a local supplier of you know transportation to matches of electricity to to, to put on the floodlights to the local pie seller it it, it does seem an anachronism um, that uh, football clubs themselves have uh, have have this special treatment but at present that is the rule. I'm Steve Lamack and every week I'm joined by Music Allies Head of Insight Stuart Dredge on The Price of Music, the weekly podcast all about the money behind the music industry. In each episode we discuss the very latest goings on in the music business and dig into the finances behind the big stories. So whether you're a music lover who just wants to know more about what really goes on in the industry or you're an aspiring musician, manager or label owner who wants some inside knowledge on how Spotify's financial model really works or what the future holds for independent live music venues, this is a show for you. Subscribe to The Price of Music in your podcast app now. See you soon. Well, talking of power bills, Kieran, it's almost like you've you've read Producer Guy's Mind. Uh, which doesn't take long. Yeah, money, <laughs> money and takeaway seems to be there. Um, Mike McCarthy has a very practical question. Uh, Mike's question is, how much does it cost to run an undersoil heating system? And how will the sharp rise in wholesale gas prices affect clubs who use them? Will there be clubs who simply can't afford to use them, leading to more postponements in future? Right. Um, I've been in contact um with uh, with some clubs with regards to this um out out of professional courtesy we won't name them but thank you very much you know who i'm thanking um the the cost is estimated to be around about um 25 to 30k a season uh because if you think about it you know august september october you know yeah, perhaps even in, in november you ain't you ain't gonna be using it um so it's, it's only used for a relatively short period within the season itself um, but you know, it's it's still a substantial amount of money. Um, is it is it that critical for a Premier League club? Probably not. But if you've got remember, the size of the pitch is is independent of where you play. So whether you're a League Two club or a Premier League club or even a non-League club, you've still got the same amount of pipes and you've still got that, that electricity cost. So if for a lower league club, it becomes a very substantial issue in terms of what's happening to energy prices. Um, yeah, and, and we're aware. Uh, I was looking at some research which came out today. The, I think the average house heating bill has gone up from twelve hundred pounds in twenty twenty to an estimated three thousand yeah. pounds in in twenty twenty two. Once the new tariffs kick in on the first of April, um, and this this is yeah, we're, we're not Martin Lewis, but if you're on a meter, for heaven's sake, read your meter on the thirty first of March and get your meter readings in because otherwise, if if, if it's an estimated bill, you could end up paying for an awful lot of fuel that you've not actually consumed. Um, but uh, that that's likely to double. So you know we're going from thirty thousand pounds to fifty to sixty thousand pounds, which is going to really hit uh, smaller clubs. Yeah, when we interviewed Dale Vince a few weeks ago, the owner of Forest Green and also the owner of Ecotricity, 
he seemed to think I was joking when I uh, made comic reference to the fact that my fuel bill, as supplied by him, had doubled in two months. But it had. It's and, mm. and that's egotricity. I mean, they just need to pedal quicker. Surely, I don't know what they have to do. But, <laughs> but that's, you know, more, more hamsters. More <laughs> hamsters. That's what we need. <laughs> That's my that's one of my favourite Barry Cry jokes. He just said my my daughter's hamster died this morning, fell asleep at the wheel. Just, <laughs> um, uh, our next question comes from Tyler McLennan, and Tyler oh, he's said, on your naughty step. He's on your naughty yeah, step. Isn't he? he is a little bit on my naughty step. He may not know why, Kieran, but Tyler says uh, hello from America. Hello, Tyler, and then. Tyler continues, with the series Ted Lasso taking the states by storm, <laughs> I'm curious <laughs> I'm curious what, if any, financial impact there's been for Crystal Palace and other Premier League teams featured. More specifically, do we know how much Palace would pay to use Sellers Park? And when Palace, Man City or Spurs appear in the show, does that mean Apple Plus, on which the show appears, have paid a licence to use the team's likeness? And with Sellers Park featuring so heavily, is there no opportunity for Palace to leverage that to gain American fans? And have they tried to benefit from the Ted Lasso Association? Well, uh, if the Porcelain's Arms has been hosting coach loads of Ted Lasso fans, they've been kept away from me for for, obvi- <laughs> for obvious reasons. Do you, do you want to tell him, Kieran, or shall I? Well, uh, if, if you're not familiar with this, Tyler, um, Kevin was asked to uh, audition for the part of Kevin Day Indeed. in Ted Lasso, yeah. and he he failed the audition, or rather, he was rejected <laughs> by the, the audition for somebody of far less talent. Yeah, they they, they asked me to. There's a character, roving reporter character, and they said it's based on you. It's based on you. What you used to do. So, we really, what you to do? We're not even looking at other people. Um, it turned out that when they saw the, the audition tape, they they were looking at many other people. Uh, <laughs> one of whom got the job playing somebody based on me, but I, you know the fact that I mention it every second pod, Tyler, is nothing to do. With it. It's an interesting. I, I can answer. I mean, I can answer anecdotally. I, it doesn't seem to me that if Palace have tried to to leverage the association, that it's worked. I, I don't. It doesn't seem to me many tourists appearing at Sellers Park just to see where whoever Ted Lasso is does his team talks. But uh, I imagine it would be something that they could think about. Yes, yes. Uh, I mean, if we sort of go through the the various elements of Tyler's question, um, in respect of uh, the matches against Manchester City, Palace and Spurs and so on, they would have to pay a licensing fee for for the use of the shirts of the other clubs. So, uh, you know, it, it's intellectual property. Uh, the, the Ted Lasso program is benefiting from the realism that, that it gives if, uh, if Ted Lasso's team are playing against a, a, a known professional team. Um, so, so therefore, there would have been negotiations. Would it have been a huge sum of money? I, I genuinely don't know. But uh, certainly, the, the people involved uh, at uh, Ted Lasso are are doing very well. Because apparently, Jason uh, Sudeikis uh-huh. is, is that is that the correct pronunciation? Yeah. Um, for season three, his uh, his per episode fee has gone up from three hundred thousand dollars to a million dollars. Probably not making you feel any better. No, is I'm, it, I'm, I'm pleased for him. Yeah, I know. Yeah, they never actually mentioned any money. They said oh, there would be a payment, but you know, in fact, I've probably lost out on several thousand dollars. Is neither here nor there, Kieran. Really, it's the artistic integrity that worries me. But exactly. uh, yeah, anyway. But yeah, no, um, go on. I was going to say, in terms of uh, the Ted Lasso tour, I, I don't think the program's big enough to warrant that as yet. You know, I, 
I, as you know, I, I work in the city of Liverpool, and and there are Beatles tours, and you know, you can end up, you, you go to Paul McCartney's house, and uh, you go to Penny Lane, and all of these, yeah, and the cabin, all of these iconic places. Um, I, I think Ted Lasso's still got a way to go before it reaches that stage where some entrepreneur uh, does decide that they're going to do the Ted Lasso tour of London. Well, see if it had me in it, Kieran. They would yes, exactly. T- you could do there'd it. There'd be ten or twenty more people. Yeah, that's probably what will happen. I'll end up hosting the Ted Lasso tour. That'd be what I do. They said, "Here's a bloke who couldn't get in it, but he's going to walk you around Sellers Park to show you the trophy cabinet." That won't take long either. <laughs> um, Nick Gittings, I like this question. Nick Gittings has a question about his club, Port Vale. Uh, fun fact, Kieran, of course, Port Vale, the only club in the 92, not named after an actual place. And before you tweet, yes, that does include Arsenal. Um, but Nick says, you'll have no doubt seen during the pandemic that Port Vale were heavily involved in community activities. We did see Nick, and we mentioned it several times. Nick says he's a great believer in clubs being a community endeavour, so he's proud of the club and its owners, the Shanahans, for returning the club to this type of activity. But... Other than the inherent goodwill which comes with this community work, is there any fiscal benefit for the club in investing or giving resources and finance to community projects? I, I would like to think that the inherent goodwill was enough, Kieran, and I suppose they might attract a few new fans out of it, but it's, I, it's hard to imagine that there would be some financial benefit to this, is it? Um, yeah, well, first of all, you know, Carol Shanahan and the rest of the family and everybody at Port Vale, um, a huge amount of respect because having seen what they've said, yeah, it was effectively, we're doing the right thing for the local people. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and um, there is a lot of social deprivation around that area. Yeah. I, I used to run a potteries company, which had gone into administration many, many years ago. Yep, yep. This uh, I've, I've done. I've, I've run a, a ridiculously wide range of, of businesses when when I was yeah. involved in in the glory days. Um, and well, you know, no, glory, they, they, I, don't think, would, I don't think glory days is the right phrase, here, Kieran. No, is it? no, sorry. <laughs> yes. Um, so uh, the uh, Port Vale have have done these things via what's known as the the Hub Foundation, and they've done an awful lot for for local children in terms of providing them with activities and workshops, and tragically. Meals, you know, yeah, yeah, kids, yeah. kids should not be going without food. And we, we've said this before, yeah, and, and you know, I get a bee in my bonnet about food deprivation in this country. Uh, and they've also done fantastic schemes for people um, during the pandemic, uh, for the older people who, who are suffering from loneliness. And, and loneliness is a killer. Yeah. If, if you, if, if you, for somebody, for somebody of, uh, of, uh, you know, a, you know of, of slightly more senior years, and also other single people who are younger, so you know, huge amount of credit, and Port Vale fans should be so proud of their club in terms of what they've done. In terms of the fiscal benefit, um, in in the immediate short term, no, but in the in the more medium term. Um, there are always grants being uh, uh, allocated, and what what the people allocating the grants tend to do is to look at the track record of those organisations which which are applying for them. So, uh, for an organisation such as Port Vale, for a club such as Port Vale, which which uh, has done such so much fantastic work, it, they will have gone up the pecking order um, in in terms of of future allocation of grants and uh, you know and and similar money which is being paid out to to invest in these schemes to to help the local community so, so it the club itself will not benefit but the 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 schemes which the club has been associated with um could potentially benefit um in the longer run a very dear friend of mine nick hancock broadcaster actor comedian stoke city superfan he gets furious because he he rightly points out, I think, that the potteries, the five towns, whatever you want to call them, is probably the 
the one area in England least understood by the rest mm. of England. Like everywhere else has a distinct identity that we all know about, the North East, the North West, Liverpool, Manchester, Cornwall, Devon. We know about those areas, but we know so little about about that part of, of, of the world. And it, it, most people wouldn't even be able to name the five towns. And, and as you say, it's an area of, of terrible social deprivation and poverty. So it's to Port Vale's credit that they've been doing what they're doing. Our last question, or actually our penultimate question technically, comes from Stephen Shaw. And Stephen Shaw's question is about Tottenham. And Stephen says, Daniel Levy is monetizing White Hart Lane with boxing, NFL, concerts and rugby. I like the fact that Stephen put rugby last there. Uh, but does Premier League financial reporting require revenue and expenses from these events to be included in the club's annual reporting? Um, yes, yes, they do. They they count towards financial fair play. Um, they are, are they would go under the umbrella of commercial income. Um, and in respect of Spurs, what we've seen is since the move to the new stadium, commercial income has increased from £60 million to £160 million. So wow. the, the the new stadium is contributing towards Spurs' ability to compete in the transfer market, to to increase the wage bill, to be able to both recruit and retain, and we think we know who we're talking about in terms of retain, yeah. um, players uh, at the club, to allow them to compete at the elite level. So um, I, I do think uh, what Daniel Levy has done from a financial point of view uh, in terms of monetization uh, has, has been, yeah, it, it's it's, it's been a, a case study of of perfection uh, in terms of uh, you know how would you like to see it done? Uh, you know, with regards for his enthusiasm for the Super League and and some other things, uh, you know, perhaps he's he comes out with slightly less credit. Mm. Now, uh, our final question actually is from us to you. You know, you know how much Kieran and I love a football kit. Oh, we love a football kit. <laughs> we do. We, we were approached by two lovely chaps recently who offered to help us design and produce our own price of football replica shirt. And rather than just seeing this as a tawdry merchandising opportunity, yes, producer guy, I am talking to you, we thought we'd get a full <laughs> set of kits made or two and donate them to a grassroots club. Which club will be decided later, hopefully with your help. But in the meantime, the shirt will be colourblind friendly white, we think, but we need your suggestions on a crest or a motto. So so far we've got a vague idea of Smudge the Cat and Finley the Dog flanking some kind of shield with the motto in Veritas Amortize. But if you have a better suggestion, then please let us know. Uh, and sometime down the line when the show is uh, produced, and Kieran and I had our first meeting with these people via Zoom on Thursday. I've never been more excited in my life. Yes. I'm Kieran wants to test you. I used to, <laughs> I used to sit at school drawing little shirt patterns and, and colouring them in, making it. And one day I thought, I'll own Crystal Palace and I'll bring these kit manufacturers in and just say, Claret and Blue, sort it out. But having a meeting with actual kit manufacturers, talking about actual kit colours, was very exciting. So we're going to make this happen. It will be available, but we're, we're doing it to provide a grassroots club who can't afford a proper kit with kit. Because we've heard so much recently from people at that level who are just struggling. You know, we, we're talking about heating bills and all sorts of stuff. Just washing kits is getting difficult for, for clubs, let alone supplying them. So, But your suggestions on uh, – if you've got any other suggestions on colours as well, that would be nice. But it, it just just send us some photographs or some designs and, and we'll see what happens. But. Um, in the meantime, I have to make the, the usual uh, mention of the fact that we are sold out for the gig 
uh, Wimbledon, our first ever live gig, is sold out on March 24th. There may be one or two tickets returned. They might be able to fit five or six more people in, they said. We had a meeting there the other day as well. Uh, it's looking like a rather good show. We're putting it together. So yes. if, you, if you do uh, still want a ticket for that, you can get it via – how do they do it, Kieran? Go to the link on the on the, this pod. It's too technical. For yes, me. yes. Yeah, if you, if you go to the show notes, uh, there, there's a link. Uh, or you can go to Eventbrite. Uh, and I've, I've just got a text – from producer guy this very minute uh-huh. uh, and he says that there are 19 tickets remaining uh but uh, yeah we, 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 we've had a we've had this show and, and also the meeting we had with the kit people i've never been so excited in my life having a 20 minute conversation <laughs> about collars yeah, round v-neck buttons uh, yeah, I, I, yeah. I, was, I was in heaven absolute heaven <laughs> Yeah, I don't know what we agreed yet. I think we went for round, didn't we? Yeah. I think we did. Yeah, I, th- I think we all agreed the most important thing is as long as it's XXL, that's fine. <laughs> uh, yeah, so there are there are 19 tickets available because they made 10 extra uh, available if we need them. So that would be lovely to see you there. It's looking like, as I say, a really good show. In the meantime, uh, if you'd like to help us financially, uh, always free to AirPod, then please go to patreon.com slash price of football. And if you have any questions for future questions, pods, it's questions at priceoffootball.com. And I shall now hand you over to Mr. Kieran Maguire for his customary farewell. Oh, well, uh, as always, folks, th- thanks for your commitment and feedback. Uh, yeah, when, when I'm up at silly o'clock uh, trying to research some of these questions, which, which I genuinely love doing, it, it's, it's because I know that you seem to enjoy the show. Um, and also, I think it's a, it's a sign of our professionalism that we are recording this um, on Sunday night. And, and some of you will be watching the BAFTAs and wondering, why are Kieran and Kieran not there? It's because we're dedicated to getting the show out to you on a Monday morning. That's, that's the only reason. You know, oh, yeah, we're But we, 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 we turn them down. We turned them down. It's not the other way around, as yeah. some, some people might think. Since I was nominated, it's like Ted Lasso. Since I was nominated for one and they didn't win it, I, they're dead to me, the BAFTAs, basically. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, if, if you want to support the show by a Patreon, that's absolutely fantastic. Uh, if you want to give us some good karma, and, and this is very much uh, from Producer Guy. He understands how the algorithms work at the likes of, of Apple and Spotify and so on. The way that you can do that is is by going on to the, uh, your app and uh, and giving us a review if you could give us five stars if you think we're worth it you know don't don't definitely don't but hopefully you do um then that will be absolutely fantastic it doesn't it doesn't matter uh who you say or what you say in the narrative that doesn't make a blind bit of difference but it helps us in the charts you, you could say you would rather it you'd rather it be presented and given that there are 19 tickets remaining you'd rather have it presented by paul hardcastle and scrappy do <laughs> that, that is a tenuous link isn't it if ever um <laughs> And it makes no difference. Uh, if you don't believe, by the way, that Kieran does get up at silly o'clock to research this, I had a WhatsApp message from Kieran this morning timed at 6.54. Uh, <laughs> obviously, it didn't register with me till about 10.54. But, but Kieran was up at 6.54 to send me a message saying, what time are we doing it today? Are you still going on your boozy lunch? Uh, yes. <laughs> at 6.54, he was up researching for you. Yes, BAFTA, I'm talking to you here. <laughs> Bye, everybody. <laughs> Bye. The price of football.
provide some photo ball.